Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our From the Trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Lauren Dillon is the executive designer at Master of Plaster Finishing Systems. Specializing in crafting historically authentic hydrated lime plasters, their materials are used throughout the U.S. and Canada on the restoration of historic structures as well as architectural finishes in residential and commercial projects. With an emphasis on quality materials, her work focuses on promoting the craft and trade of the plasterer as well as providing education on proper application processes for both preservation work and installations in new design build projects. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, we have Lauren Dillon from uh, Master of Plaster. Lauren, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Danielle. Yeah. Okay, so how, how did you get started in preservation? Um, so my background is a little different. I studied landscape architecture at Virginia Tech, and it's a very interdisciplinary program as far as from a design school. So we did a lot of architecture classes, industrial design, and landscape architecture. But my fifth-year thesis project, I actually focused on Charleston, South Carolina, and worked pretty closely with Mayor Riley. Um, and as we all know, you know, Charleston is such a great city to study in as far as from a preservation standpoint. So my kind of studies there led me to doing a master's in urban design with a focus in historic preservation in Dublin, Ireland. Oh, so, that, that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. And that's really where I, you know, really fell in love with plaster as an artistic form. Um, the Georgian architecture in Dublin and in, in Ireland is just really phenomenal. So, yeah, so that's kind of my um, my indirect path into preservation. <laughs> and, and, and then into, into plaster. So what, what drew you into the plaster in, in, in Dublin and the, Georgian, and the Georgian architecture there? So my father is a plasterer by trade, and you know I grew up kind of knowing what he did and really appreciating his work, but not really getting my hands dirty or being on site or truly comprehending what he did. Um, so I would say, you know, being in Dublin, I had that appreciation as a craft for the interiors, and their interiors they are just so ornate, and they also I tell everyone. In the States, we don't really have a great body of work or research on our plasters that have kind of come through before. But like the actual tradespeople. Yeah, yeah, okay. and the work that was done at different estates or in different structures. And Ireland has a really great body of work, 
you know, really kind of dating back to the 1600s on their plasters and on the work that was done and the processes and techniques. So I actually had access to, to kind of really learn and research and study and kind of learn about the trade as more of an art form and a craft than I really had access over here in the States. So I'd say that was, my time in Ireland was really crucial to kind of my development within the trade. Oh, that yeah, that's amazing. I do as, as you know the the really smooth Venetian plaster walls. I just want to touch them. <laughs> I, I, yes, I, I mean right. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> they just pull you in. They draw yes. you in. Yes. Uh, so I was on your website a little bit um, yesterday preparing for our, our interview today, and I saw that you have different products and services, and I I. We do a little bit of plaster, like if we mess up a wall, we'll touch it up, but we're not, you know, anywhere near the, the type of work that you do, and I'm, I'm curious about it. So t- can, you, can you tell me about the work that you do? Yeah, so we, you know, we really operate as manufacturers, so we handcraft hydrated lime putty plasters, um, and we add, we have a few different lines, so we do a restoration plaster that's used specifically in preservation projects, but we also do lime washes, which are used in exterior and then interior finishes. We do a line of the Venetian plaster, so more of that high-end kind of new design installation work where people aren't painting over them after they're, re- they're leaving that raw plaster finish. Um, we do a lot of tinting, so I do a lot of my work is working directly with architects and designers and individual clients on color creation for their interior spaces. Um, we also do a line of veneer plasters. Mm-hmm, we do, okay. yeah. yeah. So a lot of tinting, whether it's historically, you know, accurate and we're matching what was there originally or recreating new colors for clients. Um, but then we do a lot of a constone plaster, which kind of turn of the century, the stone that was quarried out of Con France was very popular in the States. And then they shut down that quarry in the 70s. And so this, this plaster we create really mimics and emulates that ashlar-faced finish. So like that material was used in the restoration of Grand Central Station. So really trying to recreate some original finishes. Um, and then we create custom plasters. So working with, you know, we did a project in New York where they wanted to give more context to the space. So we actually worked with a design team and added a Black River sand, a local Black River sand to the plaster. So we like to get creative. Um, and we're not, you know, not just kind of a standard, these are the products and this is all we offer. But we're also very hands-on. So, you know, we'll do trainings and we'll, do, we'll you know, host people in our warehouse if they want to learn how to kind of work the tools, the hawk and the travel. Um, so very hands-on, I'd say. Okay, and and I have a question about the lime washes. Are they for interior and exterior, or they they are? But you know, okay. they work traditionally as an exterior lime wash in that they will they're a sacrificial coating, and they will wear away over time. And they will you know that's where you get that really beautiful age and patina, like in New Orleans and in yeah. Charleston and Savannah. It's that layering of the lime wash over the years. So it is it can be used in exterior, but we don't make any exterior products that don't need to be maintained over time. Right, and all, all products truly do need to be either maintained or replaced. 
<laughs> right. That's a, a very good point. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the, um, um, and that just made me think, so is the lime wash, is it all for masonry then, or would it, can you put it on wood? I, 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 we've never used that. Yeah. That. Okay. Yeah, you can put it on wood, mm-hmm. um, okay. you know, mostly masonry, but then, yeah, and then in our interior installations, there's some product out there where it's a lime wash, and you can, you know, you can do it over a paint, a painted, surface or a sheet, uh, um, sheet of drywall, sheetrock, but our lime wash does need to have some kind of plaster substrate to actually soak into and adhere to. So there's no acrylics or binders that are going to make it bond right. like a painted surface. Okay, very, very good. I, le- I learned something today. So <laughs> that you, I did see on your website that you do the, you know, the pre-mixed restoration plaster, which you kind of talked about. How is that different than, like, the gypsum that you could buy at, like, a big box store, the, the gypsum plaster mixes? Yeah, so the gypsum is, it just, it's kind of, it comes from gypsum stone, whereas our, the hydrated lime putties come from limestone. And the limestone's burnt to between 1,500 and 1,700 degrees, and all the impurities are burnt away. Um, so it kind of gets down to the chemistry. Gypsum is only burnt to about 350 degrees, and a lot of the impurities are left in the stone. So that's why it's in, its, it's in a powder state in a bag. And what happens is when you mix the H2O molecules, the water back into it, it goes to a chemical set. So it reacts, and you have maybe 25, 30 minutes to work with it, um, right. and then it's going to set up on you, and it's hard. It's got a greater tensile strength than a hydrated lime putty plaster, but ours, these, the plasters we create are very traditional, and when we add the H2O molecules back into it, it goes through a process called flaking, where the lime is mixing. Those molecules are mixing with the H2O molecules and actually gets better with age. So it doesn't go through a chemical set per se. What actually happens is when you apply it to your wall, it re- it's not just drying out like a clay plaster would do, and it's not going through that chemical set like a gypsum would. It's actually right. reabsorbing carbon dioxide. So like when you okay. talk about those Venetian plaster walls, it's really completing the lime cycle on your surface. So it's okay. in essence turning back into stone by reabsorbing that CO2 on your walls. So does it take a longer than for it to cure? It does, yes. And, it, and that's a good point as well. So hydrated lime plasters need to be applied in very thin kind of veneer layers. And that's a lot of where the beauty comes into those materials is that layering process. Whereas gypsum, it actually swells. So lime shrinks as it cures just a touch. And gypsum actually swells as it cures. So gypsum kind of is a thicker, a heavier coat application versus the hydrated lime. That, that's very interesting. Thank you. Um, yeah, it gets pretty complex. It does, really but I, I never knew the down. difference, and, and I never, I, it just wasn't even on my radar, and then I'm like, oh, I, I had maybe right. six months ago, someone had asked me about it. I'm like, oh, I need to do some research on this, and, and so mm-hmm. I, now, now, I, now, I know, now I know a little bit more. Thank you. So, uh-huh. And then also on your website, I noticed that you do a lot of educational outreach and continuing education. You know, why why is that important and 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 i'm I'm assuming that some of it has to do with the the wealth of information you found in in Dublin and being able right. to, to to you know make a record of what you're doing yes I mean and I think it, it comes down to the complexity of the trade I think people use plaster as 
such a broad term. And it really, I mean, there's so many kind of different facets that fall under the term plaster. You've got, you know, the ornamental plaster, the flat wall, you've got clay, you've got gypsum, you've got hydraulic lime plasters, you've got hydrated lime plasters, you've got molding plasters. So I think there's just so, there's such a wealth of information that not many people have access to. And there is quite a bit of misinformation, I think, out there. Um, so we run across a lot of projects where they're using joint compound to, and I kind of do in quotes, to restore interior plaster. Well, those, those are, um, they're bad fixes. They right. fail over time. And then it gives plaster a bad rap that it, you know, okay, this is just a shoddy material and it's not modern and we need to tear it out. So I think the amount of misinformation, and people aren't doing it, you know, they're not being negligent. They're not doing, they're not doing a shoddy restoration on purpose. They there's just, just they don't have that. Yeah, they just don't know. And there's really not that great of access to high quality materials on the markets anymore. So, um, you know, I think just letting people, uh, the education component is very big for us because it's, I think, A, going to just help the trade and the craft continue to grow again in the long term, um, but then B, just really give people avenues or access to avenues of education and knowledge. And we're very hands-on with just sharing that knowledge. Uh, and 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 I agree, and we are too. And when you were saying about using drywall compound, I, in the past few weeks, I saw a video of a preservationist that has a large following on social media. Take a bag of plaster, like the gypsum plaster, and a bucket of drywall compound and mix them and tell them that that's how they how people should plaster their walls. I, I stopped the computer. I ran downstairs. I, I told my husband, you need to watch this. <laughs> and he's like, do you think it will work? I said, I don't know. I said, I, I've never yeah. seen anything like this before. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I mean, they probably think, you know, and they probably think that what they're doing is correct and they're, this is a great you know, way to go about it. And, and like, it's just and not from ill, you know, ill wish or right. whatnot. It's, yeah. it's just, that's how the, what people understand nowadays. Right. Yeah. But I just, so. I, was, I, we, we were talking about trying it as an experiment, but we're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to see what it, see what it does. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I know you took kind of a, a roundabout way to get into, into preservation and into, mm -hmm. into manufacturing of more traditional um, materials, but do, is there anything that you wish that you knew uh, when you got started that you know now? Um, probably, I think for me, that you can't win them all. I get very emotionally invested, and we do a lot of consultation. So, so we're based in Columbia, South Carolina, and for me, there was this project in Greenville that was this beautiful, I mean, three-story Italianate, you know, 1800 structure that the community and the, the preservation of South Carolina worked very hard to save. And then I did a lot, we did a lot of consulting on it about how, you know, the proper techniques to go and do the interiors and whatnot. And then they hired a guy that just drywall mudded the entire interiors. Oh. And for me, yeah. that was, that was kind of heartbreaking. And, you know, and so I think just, I, I think being young and energetic and excited and I'm like, oh, anytime I tell anybody about it, you know, about how the proper ways they're going to follow it and it's going to be great. So I think just kind of going, knowing to, you know, get emotionally invested because that's when you do your best work, 
but to not get so emotional about the projects that you don't, you know, that you don't reach the people and you aren't able to really kind of help them with their interiors. Right. Uh, yeah, and I, I can the, – the other thing I think is you can't take it personal. Like, I know that that's something like if somebody doesn't pick me, then I'm like it's, – it's, but it's not necessarily yes. about me. <laughs> right, exactly. And yeah, I, think that's, yeah. I think most preservationists get pretty, you know, pretty passionate and pretty emotionally invested. So that's probably something all of us kind of – especially starting out, it's like, okay, you got to – yeah, you can't get just too invest, you know, too emotionally yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah. Do do your best work for the people that understand you, and 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 everybody will be happy. <laughs> right. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what um what's the big, biggest challenge that you see in preservation? I'd say, especially coming from a plaster um, perspective, that you know, saving the interiors and not just the exteriors. I think um, right. so. You know, a lot of our law, a lot of our regulations. Um, extend to the exteriors, and then when it comes to the interiors, it's free reign. And, you know, you've got a lot of those HGTV shows where it's, all right, we're going to go in and we're going to gut this, and we're going to get right. rid of the plaster, and we're going to update everything to modern. So I'd, I'd say that I think is one of the biggest is how do we educate the broader realm on how to restore and save the interiors. And then I would also say I'd say probably a challenge is you know, a lot of projects are going always with the lowest bidder. And, and not that that's a bad thing, but I think on some historic structures, it's to the detriment of the building. You might not be getting the most certified or the, um, the best quality work for right. that structure. And it's such a, you know, it's such a um, highly specific profession, whether it's from the carpentry or, you know, the stonework or the masonry or the plaster, that sometimes it's going to benefit the overall project to go with a higher price. Um, but a lot of, you know, a lot of projects tend to lean more towards the lowest bidder. So I think and those are too yeah. big. Yeah, and especially with the government projects, I've noticed that, that they'll go with the, the lowest bidder and it doesn't Necessary. It's not necessarily. I agree. The best thing for for the building or the longevity of the of the repairs. Yes, yes that's absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what um what trends do you see uh, in preservation? I you know I think preservation is somewhat trendy now, which is really exciting. Um, <laughs> and you know the the adaptive reuse is definitely yeah. I think more is coming into the broader. Uh, vernacular for a lot of designers and architects. Um, but I would also say historic authenticity. You know, I think people are starting to pay attention to materials and, you know, are we maintaining the historical authenticity, not just from a design standpoint, you know, elements, architectural elements, but also from a material standpoint, which that, that's exciting to really yeah. see. So I yeah. think more architects, more designers, more homeowners or owners of these different structures are really starting to invest more in learning about materials and how those different materials impact the space or how they will impact, kind of like you said earlier, the longevity of that structure. Yeah, and, and I think the Internet does help all of that because you can go online and sometimes you'll get misinformation, but there is a lot of good information out there and you can at least know more you can at least have a base of yeah. information. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or you can find the people that you feel like are going to be willing to take the time to kind of communicate what they know. Yes, yes, yes. So is there um, anything that you want to highlight that makes Master Plaster different from other preservation businesses or, or other um, manufacturers? I don't know how you want to you – could, you could answer that however you'd like. 
Yeah, I think we're a little bit different in that we are, so, you know, it's a family-run business, and we're all, you know, craftsmen. So we're not just selling a product. We're not, you know, we don't have distributors set up around the country. We don't sell online. It's, we want to have a conversation with our clients first. So whether it's they're emailing us or they're calling us, and we want to know what their goal is, what they're trying to achieve, and how our materials might be right for the project, or how maybe they need to go with a gypsum, or maybe they need to go with a clay product. Um, and so, yeah, so I think maybe just we're, we operate a little bit differently in that we're very hands-on and get pretty heavily involved with our clients, which I think some really appreciate, and then others are probably kind of like, all right, I'm going to go do the third, you know, I'm going to do this myself <laughs> and figure it out. Yeah, um, I, I, I understand emailing. that. Yeah. yeah, I'm emailing. I'm like, so what's going on? Give me an update. <laughs> so, I want to see pictures. <laughs> right, yeah, see pictures, exactly. <laughs> so I say, so yeah, I think that's kind of how we operate a little differently. Yes, okay. So how can our listeners contact you? Um, email is great as well as okay. phone calls. Um, you okay. know, I think we have our Instagram account is, Pretty, I mean, we're showing a lot of process photos and a lot of images of the materials installed. And I, visually, I mean, you, you know what a visual medium plaster is. A lot of times yes. the Instagram account is such a great introduction to the materials and the processes. So that helps a ton. Um, but yeah, no, just phone calls and emails are wonderful. And they're, you know, especially we get, I get pretty involved with emails as far as I think they become kind of a nice resource for people to always refer back to during their restoration project because they have, you know, the bullet points in hand and they can follow and kind of reference. So um, either way is great. Okay, very good. Well, I will make sure that, that your email, your fo- the phone calls, your website, okay. and your Instagram is on the website where I post the, the interview. Okay. So and yeah. people will be able to find you easily. Um, did you? Are you going to be presenting anywhere? Do you have samples? Any anything you want to share uh, or an offer for the listeners? Yeah. So we. I mean, I you, I send out sample sets all the time. We love sending out sample sets. Um, it's such a tactile material that it's nice for people to really see and feel um, the hydrated lime putty plasters and the finish aesthetics. So if anyone's interested in seeing the materials, happy to put together a sample set and send those out. Um, we will be in Miami in November at the APT annual conference, the Association of Preservation Technology. That's a community that we're pretty heavily involved with, and they do great um, kind of research and analysis. And the annual conference is always a wonder gathering of different preservationists. Um, and then we do, we offer on-site trainings here in Columbia at our warehouse, or then, you know, if it's a project where we need to travel and do on-site trainings directly with applicators or architects, you know, we're always happy to do that as well. Okay, well, very good. I'll make sure all of that information is on the website also. Uh, thank okay. you so much for, for um, coming on today, and um, I'll, as soon as I have everything you know, edited and posted, I will get it up on the site, and you, uh, I'll send you the link. Okay, yeah, no, that okay. sounds great. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Danielle. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. 
For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.